Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Talk, a podcast about the mechanical keyboard hobby and what makes it have an appreciation for older input technology. My guest this Christmas special is someone that needs no introduction. He has provided us with countless hours of keyboard content, focuses on the vintage side of the hobby, and has the best voice and most magnificent curses in the game. Hiroshian Sven Sventik, welcome to the talk. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I didn't butcher Dutch on that, but uh, you know, I tried. That's that's basically what it is. Uh, it's better than most people, if I'm honest. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No worries, man. It's it's a real pleasure to have you here, to be honest. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar, but as we, you know, in every, every episode, what we do is that we start with some common and usual questions for all guests, and then we see where all that takes us, right? And the first one is the most cheesy of them all that everyone has heard before, but, you know, it is how it is. So what got you? into the mechanical keyboard hobby to start with? Oh man, that's a really long story. Do you really want to hear that? Of course, <laughs> we do, yeah. Well, fair enough. Um, basically, the story was, uh, at some point I had an old computer rig and I replaced everything but the keyboard because the keyboard was the only part that was working. So I ended up with a really old keyboard. <laughs> and then when that died 10 years later, I figured I want an even older one. Because, you know, everything I had was black, you know, everything looked slick and whatnot. But I had this old beige piece of shit. And I thought, <laughs> so I thought, I, I want an older one. And I, I dived into the bowels of the building I worked at and I found an Asus 6312, which is really, really clicky keyboard. And I've, I thought, wow, this is something different. <laughs> what is this? So I started digging into, you know, keyboards in general. I found out that there was such a thing as mechanical keyboards. And from then, I just started looking everywhere for them. Uh, first, the whole university started looking for me because the IT department, I got them on my side to look for me. And then I started looking at recycling centers everywhere around. And yeah, that's pretty much how I ended up in the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, on, on that note, right, on the rabbit hole. So when did you really actually realize yourself that you had taken that red pill and you had really went deep into the rabbit hole and started collecting them, etc. Well, I, like I said, at first it was really just people from the university collecting for me. But at some point I was going to six different recycling centers every week to <laughs> collect old mechanical keyboards. Um, and by the time I think, and also someone mentioned that I could genuinely make wallpaper out of keyboards. And that was not an exaggeration. I'm so pretty sure. I, f I figured pretty at sure. that point, yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, on that note, so what are you currently typing on? And me at knowing that you do, you know, you type on different keyboards every week because of your videos, but what are you currently mm -hmm. typing on? At the moment, it's an IROX K76M Fun keyboard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's called a fun keyboard, I know, <laughs> which is a really, really weird thing that I'm reviewing this week. I've actually already shot the footage, but I've still got it connected to my computer. Fantastic. Look, looking forward to see it for sure. Yeah. Now, another question. So, and again, with your type of, of a hobby in terms of vintage, maybe it doesn't really apply, but do you really even small? So what is your favorite layout? <laughs> And do you go um, to 40%, stuff like that, or really not? What is your favorite layout in the end? Um, well, size is more of a form factor thing. Uh, and I would prefer a 140% form factor to a 40% one. Uh, you know, a full size is okay, a bit on the small side, but I can live with that. You know, that's fine. But I, I prefer at least full size, if not considerably bigger. So small keyboards are the devil's magic and should disappear from the face of the earth. Um, as for layout, um, it's actually a fairly old layout. Well, what a surprise, right? Correct. Um, it's, called, it's, it's called the focus layout, which is a, a full-size layout that uses a big-ass enter as well as a, a full-size backspace. 
and to accommodate the difference in space it uses a split right shift i really like that layout i think it's excellent just curious so when you when you when you mention about the full backspace is what uh, more than 7 years in terms of size or no so most big ass enter keyboards use a single unit backspace because a big ass enter takes up two key spaces correct so in order to make room for it generally they chop the backspace in half but of one unit backspace. Oh, I'm sorry, backspace. I was thinking of spacebar. You're right. Ah, yeah. No, oh, the yeah. spacebar is uh, is usually about uh, seven units on a yeah yeah uh, focus sense. layout. Yeah, because centers are, are you know me me being a, obviously also partial to ISO. We all, all always like that ISO enter, but big back big big ass enter is also amazing. Really, yeah. Now, another question, typical question, but. Again, on your own, um, you know, on your own uh, side of the hobby, maybe not that applicable. But again, do you like them more stiff or weakly? And that could be a double-edged question, obviously. But we're talking about uh, mounting style of keyboards. Um, generally speaking, I prefer plate mount. Okay, um, I, it doesn't really register too much with me that it's wiggly or stiff or not, but. I just like plate mount, if only for the increase in build quality, because uh, most plateless keyboards tend to be badly built pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> can there I say go. shit on the show? <laughs> <laughs> you totally can, man. You totally can. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I totally get it. And obviously that at, um, you know, uh, for vintage keyboards, obviously, that you don't have all these fancy things like gasket mounts and stuff like that we, that now we, we have on the hobby. Um, but yeah, but we know that it's more of a... Uh, they were built to last, not really built to, to be fancy, right? It, I think it's yeah. a bit like that. Most were very utilitarian. Correct, yeah. Now, another question, obviously, and this all... We all probably know the, the answer, but again, question is... Ergo what, bruv? So what are the limits of ergonomics to you? You know, would you go into a split keyboard, new ones, you know, this type of things, Plurgo, stuff like that? Do you do you think that this would be something, even the Microsoft, which I think it's, it's membrane and not really mechanical, but, you know, the Microsoft split one, would you go into that? Would you find them interesting? Um, people find my reviews of them interesting because I swear a lot about them i hate everything related to ergonomic keyboards to me it just makes absolutely no sense and this is partly because the way i type because i don't touch type in the stand-up manner let's say i can type without i can type without looking at the keyboards that's that's really not that big of a problem but i don't keep my fingers in this really spastic um position that most touch typists do oh my god he, what the fuck he doesn't play he doesn't use the the proper in between oh my god doesn't know how to type you know how all these people are right like, <laughs> oh i get that a lot <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure but if you type like i do with floating hands you don't need an ergonomic layout because floating hand typing doesn't lend itself towards getting rsi yeah. So to me, it just makes it more difficult to type. Makes sense. Makes sense. Right. And some of them, frankly, they just look batshit insane. I mean, some of the ergonomic stuff that's been brought out, it makes it really difficult to take it seriously. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, again, and I've said this on the podcast several times, you know, I love that type of board just because I like building, right? And so these things give you a lot of pleasure building them because they have a lot of work involved, etc. But yeah, but I cannot, I build them and I just have them on a desk or somewhere just for showcase. I don't really use them because I cannot really get used to it. You know. And we had a, mm -hmm. an episode before with someone from the Splurgo gang, which they probably will tell you that this is the best thing ever. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just can't get into it. You know, that's how it is. Right? Now, we're probably now going to go with the most, uh, you know, dedicated questions to 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 Hyros about this. Um, again, as a, a note, guys, you probably, if you if you're familiar with these videos, obviously you probably heard all of these questions asked before on these AMAs. But you know, as a disclaimer, we just want to go into some of the questions, maybe a bit 
of a deeper discussion on some of the topics, you know, and a bit of banter, obviously, with it. So I need to start, obviously, by what seems to be your passion in the hobby, which is vintage keyboards, right? So why did you embark on the vintage side of it with all these new shiny and new, you know, and all these <laughs> this bright new keyboards on, on the Reddits, etc.? Uh, why do you really love them so much, that vintage side of it? Um, well, the reason why I started off with them is, frankly, uh, because they're cheap. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know the feeling, yeah. Uh, like I said, I started off with the university collecting old keyboards for me and me going to recycling centres and buying them for really half a pound each. So... They were cheap, which I needed because I was an extremely poor student at the time. I was grossly underpaid for my tuition. So uh, I really wouldn't be able to afford new mechanical keyboards at the time. It took me quite long to get the first modern mechanical keyboard review out. And that was one of those $40 pieces of shit from China, so to speak. <laughs> um, so really, I started off with it because it was cheap. Um, and the reason I loved it so much is because I found that there is a huge variety of keyboards out there. Um, yeah. And it's it's difficult to see why you would limit yourself to, frankly, the very small amount of offerings that's out today. See, it might seem like there is a large diversity of keyboards out right now, but it's not. It's actually very small. Uh, back in the 70s, 80s, and even 90s, there were way more different types of mechanical keyboards out there. And uh, I started off with Cherry MX quite soon. I happened upon, um, I think it was a HFMGB, which is just a, a G83000 with MX Blue, you know, their standard mm -hmm. keyboard with MX Blue. And that really didn't impress me all that much. So uh, even right from the start, I found that Cherry MX didn't compare all that favorably to other options. Once you've done that and you see that there's nothing but Cherry MX on the market, there's really no reason to go modern because you know the switches are just kind of eh. <laughs> so, yeah. That's curious. That's curious. So, on that note, right, so when you told me that your, your university, you know, uh, collected them for you, etc., how many keyboards do you have at the moment? At the moment, I have 328 different models. <laughs> so, guys, if you're thinking that 10 or 15 is too much, there you go, right? That's basically <laughs> what it is. <laughs> so, on that list of keyboards that you have, right, I'm pretty sure that you have your favorite board of all times on those. Which one is it? My favorite will probably always be my uh, Acer KB101A. Um, there's several reasons for that. First of all, <laughs> it's a new old stock keyboard with Blue Alps. And Blue Alps are my favorite switches. Okay. And second, I have a lot of history with that keyboard because um, it was really the first keyboard whose video became quite popular and the one that really sealed me into the hobby. See, before that, I thought it was really just a bit of fun. But mm -hmm. when I found that thing, I've, I so fell in love with that keyboard that, you know, that, that really pushed me forward to making the most out of this hobby. It, it's what put me into overdrive. Curious. Very curious. So would you say that that's your favorite of, of all times? Because, again, you know, your favorite does not really mean the most precious one <laughs> in your collection, right? So if you could say that, you know, the most precious one that you have in your collection, what would be that one? Yeah, that's probably my um, IBM Beamship, which is a, a 4978 uh, battleship keyboard with beam springs. Uh, the KB101A and I have a very long history and I really, really like it. Uh, but it's much less irreplaceable than the Beamship, which is an extremely rare, expensive, exotic, weird, and interesting model. Whereas the KB101A is fairly well documented and shows up every now and then. I mean, most of them are not new old stock like mine, but still, you know, my 
my precious one, I'd say, is the beam ship. Sounds good. Now, on a, on a note for everyone that is listening, if you know, maybe people that are starting, they don't really understand what is what what you mean like by new old stock, right? Uh, or NOS. When you hear the word NOS, that's what it means: new old stock. And the new old stock is basically, you know, that you can buy it as if it was brand new, right inside the box, like if it was new. So someone had it in a warehouse somewhere, correct? And correct? Yeah, me if exactly. I'm wrong. Yeah. yeah, basically, new old stock just means it's new, except it's not a new product. So it's never been sold. It's never been opened. Usually, even except maybe perhaps to take a picture, it's unused. It's a new thing, except it's from the past. Yeah. Is it hard to get those new old stocks? Is it really hard to to scour the internet for them? It really depends on what you need. Some keyboards are really quite easy to get new old stock, and others are much more difficult. I'm pretty <laughs> sure, man. Especially ones that I saw in your videos, I'm pretty sure that they're very hard to come by, for sure. Right. On that note, so if you could bring any vintage keyboard back to the market and have it readily available that you could go to the store and bu and buy. What would be that board for you? That's a very good question. I would say probably a Northgate Omnikey with Blue Alps. Hmm. And the reason for that is, it's quite specific. The reason is, I think that would be one of the best boards for people to try and get in touch with vintage keyboards. At least one that's not readily available now. Because the Omnikey is a beast it's a tank um with many features including uh n key rollover which people care about nowadays apparently yeah extremely good build quality it'll trounce anything produced today easily rivals a model m in that regard and uh with blue alp switches and i think everybody should be able to try out blue alp switches i mean i've got six or seven keyboards with blue alp switches i don't need it but i think a keyboard like that deserves to be on the market right now and people deserve to be able to buy it now would you think and, and again going back obviously like like uh from your reviews etc we know that before things were and not only keyboards everything was built to last would you think that it's still a um how, how can i say this a marketable model in terms of, of cost versus, you know, sell price, would you think that this would still apply today? Or do you think that nowadays, obviously, with all the, and again, not China, don't want to, 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 to put it on that, but, you know, with the consumerism <laughs> thing of, you know, buying and then throwing it away, buying new and cheap, do you think that it would still be applicable today? Could you still do it today? Absolutely not. Yeah. No, no way. Uh, because consumers are now they now expect keyboards to cost nothing yeah. uh, that that's just you know if you go and buy a keyboard you don't expect to pay more than 10 euros or something for it whereas back in the day computers were very expensive so you know if you bought an expensive keyboard that was you know just part of yeah. the price correct it yeah. didn't matter so much and you would expect it to last as long as your computer did as well but nowadays, that really doesn't apply. And moreover, many of the vintage keyboards used values such as build quality, good switches, that sort of thing, that people don't care about anymore. Uh, nowadays, it's more about, you know, flickering lights <laughs> and uh, colorful keycaps and uh, tiny f uh, form factors. That, that's what people care about now, which is why everything looks like that. Um, and I don't mean that in a snide way, but that is pretty much what it is. That's why every keyboard now has RGB, uh, high polling rates, that sort of thing. And why very few have genuinely good build quality. Certainly not something that would rival anything made in the, let's say, 80s or 70s. Yeah, which actually ties with, with my next question, which was, you know, with, with technology evolving as it does today, you know, it's very easy for people today to look at the older products as worse. Because like you said, you know, no RGBs or n n nothing like that. But, um, you know, most of the time, obviously, newer technology is always better than the old one, right? But do you think that there are vintage keyboards that are on par or even outperform 
current ones today? And any specific model that you would probably you know bring up, maybe the one that you mentioned before as the the one that should be on the market today. But do you think that this is something that you know we should go back to in terms of the philosophy of of looking at boards today? It kind of depends on what you want in a keyboard. Uh, one weakness of many vintage keyboards is that not that many models came with N-key rollover. And although I think it's not that important, I mean, it's nice to have, maybe not the end of the world, but a lot of people think that that's absolutely necessary. Now, there are definitely plenty of vintage keyboards out there with N-key rollover, but most of them didn't. They tended to have two-key rollover. Okay. Uh, there are a few that do, though. The Omni key is one of them, for example. That's one of the reasons I chose that particular uh, model uh, as something that should be on the market right now. Um, but other things that modern keyboards could learn from it, like I said, including build quality, but not just that, also just different switches. Now, there are very, you know, there's a lot of new high-end boards that take inspiration on older models especially on the design. Would you consider buying one of those? Or do you <laughs> happen to win to have one of those? And next question after this, would you consider buying something like a key cult with creams? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very specific, uh, very specific example. Um, occasionally I do see projects that look like old keyboards. I remember, for example, um, a really small keyboard, I think it was a 60%, that was based on the Data General Dasher keyboard, which looked exquisite. Um, it was extremely expensive. Oh, as uh, all the, the, the high-end or higher-end ones do, right, obviously. Exactly. But the problem with all of them is they're all based on Cherry MX. And I just don't care about that at all. <laughs> so even though some of them look really, really nice... Uh, there was also, a, oh, I forgot the name now, but it looked a little bit like one of those AT keyboards. It had big bezels, a little bit of a banana shape. looks amazing. Yeah, but, uh, but C, your issue with C, them is obviously that it's it's um, it's cherry base. Yeah, exactly. I think it was called a, a C76 or something, something along those lines. It looked, it looked fantastic. So it has been said that, you know, you are one of the main reasons why certain models of keyboards are now too expensive to buy. And, you know, before, like you said before, you could buy them for 50 cents. Now they cost a fortune. Uh, how do you feel about influencing the vintage market as you do? Um, well, I think the thought of that is very flattering. Uh, I mean, being told that you are so influential, of course, is, is flattering in a way. I'm not sure it's always equally true, but there are a few cases in which I think it's kind of difficult for me to deny. <laughs> no, I'm um, sure, man, I'm sure. Um, yeah, how do I feel about it? Yeah, like I said, it's in a way something to be proud of, even though I, I'm really not attempting to to do something like that. Um, there is actually... Uh, well, maybe a few cases in which I've held off a review uh, so that I could buy more of that keyboard before they inflated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, one of the things is that IBM LAMs focuses are now very expensive. And if you want to find them, they're a fortune. And I, for one, uh, you know, I said this uh, before maybe, but I, for one, bought a Model M just because of one of your videos, right? Because... You know, I remember the, I can't remember exact words, but I remember something like, you're not really a keyboard enthusiast until you, you had the Model M. And I ended up searching for one. I was lucky and I could find one on a good price, very good quality at a good price. But, you know, but nowadays you look at eBay and stuff and you see this type of keyboards going for 200, 300, 400, because people know what they have, right? And before, uh, like you mentioned, even on your videos that, you know, you would go to a recycling center and they had no clue of what they had. Do you think that nowadays people are, even on the recycling centers, they're actually more attuned to what they cost and how they're the cost at the market today or not yet? Or do, don't you think that? Yes, some places definitely do. Um, but that said, if you look closely, there's really always another deal. For example, I bought um, 
a, f- a zeroth generation Model M <laughs> for $100 not that long ago. Zeroth generation. So that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's extremely, extremely old. In fact, it was the very first type of Model M ever made before they were even made for the PC. That's how old it is. Jesus, yeah. I think that, um, what was the Model A? Yeah, it's a 1386303 from 1985. Yeah, and uh, not that not that long before that, earlier this year, I bought a Model M for $50. And that's a, a first generation one, silver badge. I think <sighs> even with, was it? I think it was even with Thai keycaps. So, you know, there's always a good deal. I still get amazing deals just by looking a lot and looking in the right places and looking often. Yeah, obviously, I'm not going to ask you where do you look at, at because we don't want to, to spoil your... Honestly, most of it is from eBay. Uh, and you can get really good deals occasionally from uh, mechanical keyboard communities as well. I mean, you might not be able to get first-generation Model M for $50, but Definitely. they won't they won't ridiculously overcharge you generally. But do you think that there's still a part of... Because, you know, you know, and again, you're in the hobby, you know about flippers and all this, especially with new boards. Do you think that there's people today that are actually buying and scouring, you know, recycling centers to then flip them for huge prices, the, the vintage ones? Or do, oh, yeah, or in the vintage side, there's not that much? Oh, no, there definitely are. So if i was new so, you know if i was someone new to the hobby and i wanted to find more about vintage keyboards right because again like me you know i started watching your videos and i started oh you know yeah uh, i didn't I, I actually started you know very young on keyboards but i never had them then obviously when you get into the key, keyboard world you go with, with mx switches etc et so where should i look for information we know that Dorothy is one of the places that you go uh, but most of these type of forums like the authority scare people away. And I'm talking about myself because a lot of the people that are there, um, you know, are usual people there, they're experienced, etc. So, you know, some people think that, you know, they're scared of joining those type of forums because at the same time, it's more of a restricted community. I wouldn't like to say that as a restricted in a bad way, but, you know, People look at it as restricted. Any other places that you would go and learn and, and find more information about them? And obviously, apart from watching your videos, because that's a big, big thing about right? <laughs> well, um, first and foremost, this is a very niche topic. There's not a huge amount of resources, but there are a few really good ones. If you're scared of interacting, but you just want information... I can really, really recommend the Desk Authority Wiki, which is excellent. It's a a veritable treasure trove of information. And you can look things up there. There's many links. It's it's very, very well done. So that's that's one of the best, possibly the best source uh, on vintage keyboards. There are also a couple of other forums. Uh, Geek Hack is a bit looser. That's... uh, well, if Desk Authority is the European community, so to speak, then Geek Hack is a more American community. Mm-hmm. It's uh, slightly more geared towards modern stuff, but it also has plenty of old stuff in it. And even, frankly, the MK Reddit. If you post something old there, you can usually get a good amount of uh, responses there too. Yeah. It's funny because when I got my Model M, I just took a picture and, and I... You know, I put it, took a picture on top of the table and said, this just came in the mail and there was like huge upvotes. People loved it. And I was like, yeah, it's just a, an old keyboard, right? But yeah, people tend to, to like it, right? Yeah, exactly. Funny. Um, so there's also a part of the community that searches for all these type of boards only to destroy them. You know, they, they want to take the, the switches apart from them or the keycaps, uh, you know, oh... Uh, vintage blacks, whatever, and they want to just take out stuff and throw them away. Does this bother you? You know, do you feel bad about you know these vintage boards, which used to be something different, just getting destroyed because of something like this? It really depends on the model, to be honest. Uh, if you take something really, really common, like an eighty one hundred one or something like that, which you can find millions of, there are so many. 
then it doesn't really matter. I've even done it myself. Yeah. Um, but if it's something really rare and interesting, then yeah, definitely. And the ironic thing is, most of the time, the boards they're destroying are a lot better than the boards they're putting the switches in. <laughs> that was exactly the the point on the question, right? Is that maybe they're just destroying something that is much better than what they could have after that. A great classic case in point is, well, maybe not most, but many Blue Alps builds. Uh, because they almost always go into 60% keyboards or something like that. You know, with small cases, small dense cases, not a lot of room, very little bezel, if anything, maybe even an open case. And they put them, the switches in there and then suddenly the keyboard doesn't sound all that good. You know, they think, wow, it sounded a lot better in, you know, in the videos from what I've heard. And that's because the old cases have much better acoustics. So, yeah, they kind of ruin it. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. I think the most painful thing, though, is when people desold the switches and then sell them. Yeah. Because, uh, especially with Alps, I mean, other switches, it's maybe not quite as crucial, but you see it happen a lot with Alps. And I would strongly advocate never buying loose Alp switches. There's something that I saw on your videos, and now totally different, uh, you know, sidetrack. But Alps seem to be, you know, people tell me, and I haven't, I haven't experienced Alps myself, but people tell me that you should buy new old stock if you can, because Alps also have an issue with obviously with age, getting dirty, etc. Is that a thing with Alps? Do you, do you think that that has that is a thing? Yes. No, I know it because I have <laughs> yeah. dozens of Alps keyboards. And you can you can very easily tell if a board became dirty or dusty inside. I mean, inside the switches, right? Not just on the plate or something. But, um, then they very quickly feel suboptimal. Uh, and same thing with when they're heavily used; they just start to feel suboptimal. Curious. So even so, so on that side, apart from you know, the opposite from a cherry, which is oh vintage because they were very very used, so they're very smooth. In Alps, it's the opposite, right? So they would be worse when they're used. Yes, no, definitely. Okay. So to get the most out of an Alps keyboard, I would always uh, advocate getting it new old stock. And especially because if you buy it used, you don't know what you're getting. You might get lucky. You might get a keyboard that's used or dirty, but you know, still feels pretty decent. That can happen. Okay. You're lucky if you get that, but, you know, it can happen. I have examples of that, too. Um, or you can get one that's used but looks clean but actually feels much worse than it looks like. But if you buy new old stock, it's very rare for it to feel shit. Makes so, sense. Is it, are, they, are they salvageable, Alps, in terms of, yes. you know, if, you know, Taking them apart, cleaning them up, etc. You can still yes. salvage them and coming, make them come back to the to the their previous glory. Uh, yes, okay. uh, I've done a whole video series on that. Um, if it's just dirt inside the switches, you can clean that out. If they've been used when dirty, it just kind of breaks the plastic apart, and then it doesn't become salvageable anymore. Okay, so if they're used, you can't really revert that. If they dirty but unused you can undo most of the damage usually okay makes sense makes sense yeah yeah now you mentioned now about about your obviously your your videos etc and we've been talking about the, the 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 your youtube channel and we need to bring up that topic right so what made you start making videos first of all well to be honest i already did videos before i started uh, mechanical keyboards uh, quite a few years before that, actually, I did uh, chemistry videos. Just a few, I think it was maybe half a dozen or so, and they were really, really amateurist. I just made some videos of the lab I was in, and I showed some some basic things. Uh, you know, just some general chemistry procedures, like uh, thin-layer chromatography and how to handle liquid nitrogen, that sort of thing. Um, so I had some experience with videos and YouTube and whatnot, that lowers the barrier a lot. And then 
uh, when I got into mechanical keyboards, I saw some other YouTubers who also were talking about vintage keyboards. And that further encouraged me, you know, doing, well, I kind of like this sort of content. I want to do it myself as well. I want to to make this sort of content myself and put my own spin on things and talk about the things I want to talk about. And that's really how it, it all kicked off. Do you think that he had the traction that he has today? And that you would be looked as one of the uh, vintage creators in, in the in the hobby? Um, really not, no. But I still think I'm a very, very small channel. <laughs> I mean, I've got 100k subscribers, which apparently is a lot. I don't think it is. But you know, it's such a small niche. If I start talking about, I don't know, used spinach tins from 1982 <laughs> i'm probably going to be the number one content creator in that very quickly because no one wants to talk about it so <laughs> i think it's easy to be you know reasonably big in an area as long as nobody talks about it makes sense so you have mentioned in one of your amas that it takes you around one hour per minute of video that you make so i assume that there's a lot of work behind in the dialogue as well as the recording itself. Not to mention, obviously, coordinating with the Englishman that dubs your videos. By the way, guys, I don't know if you know, but you know, I spoke to to Heros and you know, then we had the guy to come in and, and speak for him. So he's basically translating directly, uh, you know, speaking to him and he's, he's talking. So that's why you probably hear that. But you know, what keeps you going on all of this time that you take? Yeah, that's a good question. It, <laughs> it takes up an insane amount of time to do this, but I just really like doing it. Um, some people think that I'm doing this as a job. It's not. It's just a hobby. I do it just because I like doing it. And there's there's just a lot of stuff I want to show you guys. I've shown the vast majority of my collection now. I think about 90%. I've still got a thing. There's always, you know, a few more keyboards, I think. Yeah, yeah I really want to show them that. <laughs> <laughs> and and do you take pleasure because I, I speak about me right uh, it's it's something funny is that you know when you're a content creator whatever but I also take pleasure of you know the editing of the podcast all of that side too it's not just you know showing the video and watching the views it's, it's also the whole process of making it do you also take pleasure on that on the, or is it just really a bit of a nowadays a bit of a, a, a short uh, to do it well, the editing is probably the least interesting bit of it. Yes. Uh, but that said, uh, the videos I've done that are not reviews, they bring out a lot of interesting editing techniques. Thankfully, I have a friend who's studied cinematography and he can help me with those mm -hmm. uh, things. So I've learned a lot as a result, and that's really cool. Um, but I would also say I've, I really enjoy cinematography it's a, a relatively new subject to me i guess for just a few years but it's very interesting and um, i've looked a lot into it i'm learning so much so yeah i would say that the thing as a whole is also yeah. good not not just doing you know keyboard reviews <laughs> yeah i know i mean it, it, but it's that right it's it's all the skills you get in the way in in the in the journey and everything you learn with it because it's always something that you learn. Now, on that note, and going back to the same, you know, the amount of time that it takes, do you ever have a burnout moment and you really consider, you know what, I'm going to stop? Um, well, it's ironic you mentioned that because this is my last year of doing weekly reviews. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned um, that, yeah, you mentioned that. So I'll still be doing videos, just not weekly anymore, and... The reason is because I've been doing it for so long. It's taking up a lot of time, and I still like doing it, but I don't want to to obligate myself to having to do it every week. So I just want to be able to do it whenever I feel like doing it. Um, I don't think I've ever really had a burnout, even though I've had weeks where I've done nothing but work on this in almost every spare minute of my time. Yeah. But, you know, it really varies. I mean, what was it, last week I brought out five or something or maybe six videos. That was rough. Yeah, <laughs> but, I'm pretty sure, yeah. But, you know, it was fun to do. I wouldn't have done it if I didn't enjoy it. 
so on that note, so what was your hardest video to make so far that you remember? I think the two videos that took the longest to make that were reviews were the review for the Steel Series Apex Pro, which was a very complicated video to make. I think that took almost half an hour of that I mean, it's half an hour long, something like that. Yeah. It it included everything. It included uh, switch studies, uh gaming footage. Uh, and a lot of testing behind the screens with that, of course. Very in-depth testing, a lot of scripting, finding out how everything worked, and the editing on that was a, a fucking nightmare because it was all very achronologic. So everything took a lot of time to do with that. And the uh, the compact portable video was also very difficult, mostly because, first of all, it took quite a while to get the bloody thing going, and uh, that video is almost 50 minutes, I think, in total, because it included a lot of gaming footage as well. So, speaking about fucking hard, you're also known as one of the best swearing there is in the videos, <laughs> right? And I, I, I'm for one, and I'm sure a lot of us, right? We can't hate, we can, can't wait to hear, uh, you know, a new one when in your new releases. Now, I think it now became a feature of your videos, but did this really grow organically? The truth is, I swear colorfully in person as well. <laughs> um, I really yeah. like languages. Uh, I think languages are very interesting, and uh, you know, I like to work on my vocab. And swearing is an important part of any vocab. Correct. Know, I think people that don't like swearing, they have a limited vocab, by definition, actually. Uh, but I, I like to swear with more than just the simple shit or fuck or whatnot. I mean, why say fuck when you say mother tit fucking cunt balls instead? You know, it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's just, it's better. Um, and not even in, just in English. I swear in lots of different languages. I'm just not in my videos. How many, how many languages do you speak? Uh, Dutch, English, uh, German, a bit of French, and I can read with a little bit of difficulty now, I think, ancient Greek and Latin. Oof, yeah. I'm at four, too, so, yeah. That's, uh, I speak English, Portuguese, French, and Spanish, and I understand a little bit of, of uh, Moroccan, which is called Darija, which is not really classic Arabic, but yeah, so part of it. Now, do you take flack from the community on using such a colorful language in your videos? Do you ever take <laughs> that flack? Or are people going like, oh my God, he's, he's swearing. Uh, you'll find those comments mostly in my most popular videos because they are watched by people who don't constantly watch me. My core Correct. public know I swear a lot and they tend to really enjoy it. Exactly. So occasionally, occasionally I get comments saying, uh, do you have to swear so much or stop swearing or, you know, you're a Philistine. And I just, <laughs> I just laugh at those people. If anything, it makes me swear even harder. Yes. Because I, I, yeah. I can't take people who, uh, who hate swearing seriously. Oh, now, we were talking about language, right? And, and me also being a non-native English speaker, I find it very amazing how you have a, such a proper English accent. So far that I actually, when I started watching you, I totally thought that you were uh, British. So how did it come about? Because <laughs> I, I, I live in UK and I don't have a British accent. And I, you know, my, my seven-year-old now does have a British accent, but I don't, right? Do you have to concentrate really hard or does it come naturally to you to that to do that British accent? Uh, quite the opposite. Um, I sound more British during normal conversation than I do in my videos. Curious. Yeah, it's because when I read things off of a paper, um, which, which I do for all my videos, they're all scripted, I concentrate a lot more and I try to suppress it a little bit. I have a much stronger accent in person. I did live in the UK for four and a half years, um, which made the accent considerably more British, but even before that, it, it sounded pretty much the same as I sound in my videos. But it's funny because you, you're talking about that, but I live in, in UK for three and a half years, and, and I still don't have the, the British accent, you know what I mean? 
So it's it's very curious on that sense because uh, you know I love the British accent uh, and I would love to have the accent, but I don't really talk like that because that's how I talk, right? So you you study here, correct? Mm-hmm. Was it because of that that you picked it up? And did you at the at the beginning you had to force yourself to do it, or just came you know as a natural thing? Of no, not at all. Here? I've been speaking British English all my life. Okay. Uh, okay. A couple of things um, for why. So, like I said, first of all, I like languages, and I think speaking a language really only makes sense if you do it the way people do from that country. If you want to say something, I want want to be able to say it without an accent, or makes sense. at least yeah, sounds yeah. natural. And it doesn't help that the Dutch accent is extremely ugly. I really hate it. I really, really hate it. So I I do try to purge myself as much as possible. Um, And finally, I grew up with James Bond films, so, you know. Yeah, James, man. James Bond is great. That's that's fantastic. It is. It is. So you're obviously also now on a totally different note, but you're obviously into gaming, and you mentioned that even on your AMS, etc. You mentioned Quake and Doom. Are the FPS your favorite type of game? Or is there other types of game that you really like too? Um, I like loads of different games. Uh, I would say FPS is probably my favorite genre, yes. But I've played so many games. I also play a lot of roguelikes, uh, dungeon crawlers. I used to play uh, RTS games, tons. Um, uh, Fighting games I used to play a lot as well. I mean, so <laughs> racing games even. I've I've played many, many different genres of game, but nowadays more and more it's shooter games. Okay. Uh, and roguelikes. Look, mentioning roguelikes, uh, Slay the Spire, are you familiar with it? Yes. Yeah. I have 500 hours on that game. It's amazing. Oh, that's a good, it's a good game. I, have, I don't have 500 hours in it, but yeah, it's that's just, a fun game. It's just great. Right, but I used to I used to play a lot of of FPS too. I used to play Counter Strike a lot uh, when I was younger. Then you know, obviously, old fart, your reflexes go away, and then you start joining <laughs> these lobbies, and then and then you start getting wasted by twelve year olds, and you go like, nah, not for me, <laughs> right? And then obviously, I moved into into you know RTS, not that much RTS, more of the RPG type of games, and then you know driving games. I love. I love driving games. Um, what other hobbies do you have apart from keyboards and, and obviously gaming? Do you have any other stuff that you love to do? Yes. So uh, quite a few, actually. Um, so first of all, I really like traveling. I love to travel. Traveling to, is amazing. Man. I've been to quite a few countries places. already. Yeah. I did the 30 before you're 30. So that's 30 countries before you turn 30 years old. Nice. Yeah. Um, I make one big trip at least per year. So that's my goal to make one trip per year at least. Sometimes it's more, but you know, it is expensive. Obviously. Oh yeah. But yeah, I love to travel, soak up, uh, soak up atmosphere and culture of different countries. You find it enriching, as I do. Yes, you very know, much. Going into places that you don't totally different and. That experience, I think it opens your horizon so much, you know, being yes. able to, to go to places like that, right? Absolutely. Especially because I live in the Netherlands, which is a monumentally boring country. Well, you should and be careful like... then. To <laughs> it's <having> small. <laughs> Not boring, but small, right? And and I think, you know, my personal experience, having worked several places in the world, I think that, you know, that part, and I always advise everyone like you mentioned, you know, traveling is just amazing for that because you just know so many different cultures. You change your your opinion, your views on so much stuff because mm-hmm. you've been there and you've seen it and it's not like the media puts it, right? I lived in a Muslim country, like in Morocco, right? And so before going there, I had no really, no connection with, with Muslim countries. And going there and living there for five years, I just... You know, I have a totally different appreciation, and it's not like you see in the, uh, you know, in in the news, uh, in the middle of the desert, some guy with an AK forty seven. No, these are, you know, amazing people, 
right? And what you see is obviously like you would see in the UK, in in Portugal, in the crazy guys. That's what they show you, right? Not really yeah. people. But, but I think it opens your horizon so much traveling and seeing all these different cultures and all how people see the world differently than you do, right? Yes. Yeah, I think it's very important to to soak up more of the world. Definitely. You were mentioning, so you have traveling as a hobby. What else? Mm -hmm. I also really like board games. Mm. Um, So video games and board games, not everyone likes both. Usually it's only one of the two that people like. I really love both. Uh, I'm an avid board game player as well. What board games do you play? Uh, some of my favorites include uh, Stone Age and mm-hmm. Seven Wonders. Okay. I have many, many board games as well. Maybe not as many as keyboards. I think I have about 50 or 60 board games, mm-hmm. something like that, but you know, still a reasonable amount. Yeah, I, I started playing board games with... Um, most of them of them Warhammer, you know, the, the publisher of Warhammer, so I played Talisman a lot, which I really loved. Um, and then obviously, you know, the regular monopolies, whatever, but, but I'm more into that type of board game, which I really like, you know, that, that type of different type of board game that exists because, you know, I come from a time where computers weren't the thing that much. So there was no online playing, there was no multiplayer. So if you wanted to play with other people, you would have to play board games, right? That's, yeah, exactly. that's how it was. Right. Yeah. Role-playing games. Have you played role-playing games or not really? Not really, to be honest. Obviously, I know they exist and kind of how they work, but I've never really done it. Yeah, no, interesting. Now, last question of the podcast, or one of the last questions, and this one is we do to everyone else, which is, if you could change something in the keyboard hobby today, what would it be? That's a deep one. And it can be anything. It can be a bad thing, good thing, you know, drama, whatever, but we like to keep it a bit more positive but again you know it's your choice what would it be it would be more switch variety and thankfully this is already happening Uh, i just want a more diverse market because i don't think that cherry gatoron kale greetech any of that is really different i think it's all the same switch you know those clones or or even zelios Mm-hmm. ink switches creams it's it's exactly the same switch just slightly different i want more real variety in the keyboard market like they used to be back in the olden days which is well i sound very old myself now but that's one of the things that i like so much about the hobby that there is such a big variety out there i mean i've seen some really really crazy designs back in the day uh, magnetic valve switches, inductive switches, Hall effect, uh, magnetic separation separation switches, which use a, a magnetic clicker and also a magnetic tactile element, even acoustic switches, which is one of the most mind-blowing things ever. It uses a kind of acoustic transfer medium to locate where the key that you pressed Jesus. was. So it, it listens yeah. to the sound and then it can determine it's that key because the sound is there. So, you know... That's one of the things I want to bring back as much as possible to the world of mechanical keyboards, switch varieties, and it's slowly happening now. But do you think, you know, again, at the time, and this, me being a very big fan of Formula One, those golden ages of Formula One where everyone would throw stuff at the wall, see what it sticks, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think that at the time was also a lot of experimentation on that and that today, like you were saying, you know, most everything is based off cherry you know, patent, whatever, design, because people mm-hmm. are, that's it? Or, you know, there was more of a experimental f- side to it then than it is that there is today? And you, and you mentioned, you know, there's the optical switches, etc. but we don't see that much variety nowadays. We don't see Alps coming back and stuff like that. Right? You say that, but... Well, yes and no. Um, yes, back in the day, there was a lot of experimentation, partly because they just didn't really know what worked, so they tried all yeah. kinds of crazy things. I mean, I've seen such fucking weird switch designs, including <laughs> one with a, uh, a dislodged ball bearing inside that kind of rolls onto contacts. 
It's called a Tokai switch. Yes, I, I, I think I saw, I saw uh, that on one of your videos, to be honest, yeah. If you want to see some weird shit, try my uh, uh, strangest or weirdest. Yeah, I saw that one. Top for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's full of weird stuff. You can you can really see they went batshit insane with some of the designs in there. Um, but that said, even though nowadays you know it's not always very wide, well, it, it doesn't really. T- trod any particularly unknown paths very often but there are a couple that are really really new and modern for example uh, the wooting switch flare text optical switches yeah uh, the analog ones i mean they use prisms with lenses i think there's two or three different lenses in in every switch just to focus and unfocus and you know adjust lights and nothing Crazy. like that yeah. ever ever used to exist so that's that's something completely different but would you say that, you know, when you have those type of boards, right, would you say that the the mechanical keyboard hobby as it is today, you know, in terms of customization of boards, etc., that would lose a bit because then you would be tied to a PCB, be tied to a, you know, again, you're tied to, to Cherry anyway, but would you think that there would be, uh, you know, less uh, customization in the end with those type of, of stuff? Uh, yes, it's much more difficult to have deep customization like you have nowadays if you have more switch designs, because obviously you would need to make them compatible with all these switch designs. Yes. Yeah. However, I would say that, well, I mean, this is coming from my perspective at least, you know, putting differently colored keycaps on your keyboard, I think is less interesting or less important than finding. A fundamentally better keyboard. Yeah. Again, we have a my uh, my ex co-host Therin Goat, which is a big advocate for switches, and that's what he means, right? That's what he says. Switches are much more important than anything else because that's where you're typing on, right? Then again, it is a bit true, right? No, very much so. I think the switch is always the f- the first thing in a keyboard for me. Everything else is secondary. Although people look at, is it purple? Is it pink? You know, a lot of people like that, but hey, it is what it is. <laughs> well, if that's what they like, then good for them. And for sure. There's nothing There's nothing wrong with that. And frankly, if that is the case, then you're in luck because that's exactly what the entire mechanical keyboard market is geared towards. You know, I cannot, I don't want to diss on someone, but, you know, I saw this post of someone saying, best part of a new keyboard is taking pictures. And you go like, no, it's using it. That's the best part of the keyboard, not taking pictures of it. You know, that's why you get one is to, to to build it and to use it. And that's why you use a keyboard, not to take pictures. But hey, to each its own, right? Some people yeah. think that. So, yeah. Now, 2020, obviously, let's just put this year out of here. It's almost gone. What's next for Hirohian? Transvantic on twenty twenty one. You are, you already mentioned that you know you're going to probably reduce a bit of the of the videos. I'm not going to do weekly videos, but what else uh, is there for you? Do you have any other ideas to do? Any projects? Anything coming back coming to you? So there are still a couple of old keyboards I want to show you guys, but in twenty twenty, I think it'll be much more modern. 2021. Sorry to oh, sorry. Yeah, of yeah. course. Let's just still living. Forget 2020, please. Let's just disconnect. Oh, that. God, That's I it. hate this year. <laughs> no, it's very, crazy. very true. <laughs> now, um, in the future, it will be fewer videos, but more of them will be on modern keyboards because if something interesting comes out, I would probably still want to cover that. So that'll happen much more than is currently the case. Okay. Okay. At the moment, I don't really have anything major else planned, but I'm not adverse to doing videos about other stuff. I just don't know at the moment what I would do it about. Let's see. Let's hope and let's let's wait eagerly for your new videos because that's <laughs> what I do, man. That's what I do when everyone does, for sure. Right, guys. Only thing left to say is thank you so much 
for joining us on this podcast journey so far. And thank you, know, you for having me. No, it's it's you know to be honest. Uh, <laughs> again, thank you, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate that. And uh, FYI, guys, I never thought that uh, that Hydros would uh, would accept me inviting him to, to the podcast. So it's a big honor for me to have him here. <laughs> to be honest, but hey, uh, thank you again. Really, really appreciate that. And guys, um, just wanted to wish everyone uh, and your family a happy holiday. You know, whatever your religion or creed may be, just you know, have a happy holiday and all the best for 2021. Let's all hope that it's much, much better than this 2020, which I'm pretty sure it's going to be, right? Um, I hope that we are all here next year to listen to much more keyboard discussions. Uh, Heros, once again, man, thank you for joining. I really, really appreciate you joining. Uh, and yeah, and uh, once again, guys, Thank you so much for listening and keep talking. Don't remember, don't forget 2021. Let's keep talking, right? <laughs> Have a good one. Cheers, guys. <laughs>